Welcome to the STLHighSchoolSports.com Friday Night Football Show. I'm your host, Dave Quedall. Thanks so much for tuning in to the final football episode of the 2020 school year. Next week, we're going to start deep diving on the basketball action. But before we get there, there's one more football game to chit-chat about as MICDS and Helias played for the Class 4 State Championship Friday night at Jefferson City High. Steve Overby was on the scene for STLHighSchoolSports.com and the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. He'll have the scoop on that game in a little while. Up first, though, we're going to talk to Fort Zumwalt North coach Joe Bacon, who just wrapped up his 13th season with the Panthers. In his time, he's helped turn Fort Zumwalt North into a contender in Class 5. The Panthers made their fourth state semifinal in five seasons last week. They had the unenviable task of trying to derail a Jackson team that was the runner-up last season in Class 5 and appears hell-bent on bringing home the program's first state championship to football mad Jackson. So very happy to have Coach Bacon. I know it wasn't under the circumstances he was hoping to be on the show, but we're happy to have him anyway. So without further ado, here's Joe Bacon. I'm now joined by Fort Zumwalt North coach Joe Bacon, who was nice enough to join the podcast today. Thanks so much, Coach, for joining us on the STLHighSchoolSports.com Friday Night Football Show. You bet. My pleasure. So the the Panthers had yet another impressive season, made the Class 5 semifinals for, I believe, the fourth time in five seasons, finished up 11-2, and ran into a powerhouse that is Jackson football, the buzzsaw that uh, will go play in Jefferson City Saturday night for the state championship, going to take on uh, Platte County for uh, the Class 5 title. So uh, just, I know the wound is very fresh, but I would like to pick the scab a little bit. Um, yeah, go for it. And just, just, just to get it out of the way, just to kind of talk about how good this Jackson group you guys saw last week is historically among the other programs you've run into during your very successful last decade or so. So I, the big picture so Jackson was was so good across the board, and and over the last five years, I'd say we've seen a better defense at one point, uh, maybe a better offense, uh, possibly a better special team, but we have not faced a team that was that good in all three phases, and uh, we just couldn't breathe in in any phase of the game. There was there was no part of the game where uh, we felt like we were in control, and uh, I was very impressed with Jackson beginning to end. I mean, when you we talked the week before leading in that you were looking at their offense and, and what you said was, man, that is that is not your routine stuff. It's not basic. What really impressed you about what their offense was, was running? Well, honestly, before we played the game, uh, the thing that pressed us most was their passing game, mm. uh, which is top notch. But then we saw firsthand. I mean, they didn't throw the ball really hardly at all against us. And uh, they just had enough size up front and enough athleticism that, that we couldn't stop their run game. And so I felt like our defensive coaches did a pretty good job putting together a game plan to slow down their passing game. Um, but, but if you take that part away and then they can run that well, that, that's one heck of an offense to try to stop. And just what is it like when your opponent continues to churn up yards on the ground the way they do? I'd imagine that is just it's hard to overcome the feeling of being demoralized as play after play, they continue to get what they need to either keep their drive alive or go score or whatever it may be. How hard is it to rally your guys in situations like that? 
Well, uh, it's a pretty horrible feeling. <laughs> and, and that's what we try to do to other teams. I mean, that, that's always one of our, our primary goals. Cause you're right. It's if, an, if one team is, is shoving it down your throat, uh, it's really hard to keep battling, uh, through that and, and puts your kids in a tough place mentally. But, but I will say, um, even though Jackson was real successful running it, I felt like our kids battled their hearts out all the way through that last quarter and, and they did it with class. And so I, I could not be more proud of them for that. They are a testament to what, what you guys call, you know, being built on the North side. You had talked in the preseason, how this senior class in particular in dealing with a preseason, unlike any other because of the coronavirus pandemic, showed up to what camp you were able to get and do some preseason work in in better shape than you imagine they would be because you couldn't be together till I think July was when you get together in this you know you miss out on spring you miss out on the first part of summer I, I I'm curious what being built on the north side means to you guys because year after year kids graduate that's the nature of the sport and every year you've got new guys stepping into new roles and, and continuing to keep the program among the elite in the state. So for us, it, it comes down to a few things, really. We always want to be a very physical football team, and uh, we want to play as hard as we possibly can for all 48 minutes every single week, but to do all, both of those things, but to do it with class. And, and I found it's pretty easy to do one of those three or maybe two of those three, uh, but to be real intense and to be real physical, but to still do it in a, a classy way or a sportsman type way, um, that's a hard combination to get, especially in high school. And and when we are who we want to be, that's that's exactly how it should look. And, and I felt like our crew this year did a really good job with that. And, and senior leadership, always super important, but never more so this past offseason when us coaches were really pretty removed from the players for most of the off season. And, and so a lot of the work that got done had to get done without us coaches running it. And, and our seniors did a great job, not just of, of pushing themselves, but pulling their teammates along and, and helping them get ready for the season. And when we had talked, you attributed that to being, you know, part of the program. It's part of the culture. It's kind of just, this is how we handle our business this is your 13th year as the head coach, 24th in the program at Zoomwell North. How long does it take to get that built into your, your DNA of your program? What does that look like? Because everybody's trying to get there, and it's really hard to do. Not everyone does. You guys have really found something. I'm curious what it's like kind of laying the foundation and continuing to build on it. It took longer than I wanted. <laughs> so there's some pretty rough years there at the beginning. It, but I feel like we've always had at least a few guys going back, however far you want to go back. We've always had a few guys that kind of embodied who we wanted to be. But the biggest difference really is, is we went from having a handful of guys that were kind of the exception that were living out those standards uh, to now it's, it's more the, the general rule of who we are. And, and not that we're perfect at it. And, and absolutely, we have kids and even coaches that we slip up sometimes. But um, now it's I think everybody understands that's the expectation. And you're not the odd kid out if you do go hard and you play passionately and you do it with class. So uh, it took several years to, to get that to grow within our program. Uh, but again, it's not like it didn't exist at all. It just felt like we kind of 
really tried to feed that part of our program and get that to grow and, and become more of our general standard for the program. And wh- how big of a difference is it making that move? Like, like I'd said, 24 years as a, in the program as a coach, 13 as a head coach, making that move to the head job. I, I, I talk to a lot of guys who get that first taste and they think it's going to be one way and it's, it's not what they thought it would be. How did your experience go? Uh, it, those were a couple of rough years. Um, <laughs> for me, the, the hardest part was you have to invest way more time as a head coach but you're not investing it in doing things that were the reason why you got in coaching. Right. So like putting together the roster and make sure the uniforms are set and all those things like that's not why I got into coaching. And so you find a lot of your time diverted from working with kids and developing them as athletes and as people. And, and you find yourself spending way more time than you want on, on all those other things that have to get done, uh, but they don't really have anything really to do with working with kids. So, so for me, that was the biggest struggle in the transition. And, uh, yeah, everybody thinks you're great when you're an assistant. And, uh, then whenever you become the head coach, you, you take a a whole lot of credit for things. And, and even now I'm taking, like, I'm giving credit for some of the good things that happen that that really, I don't have a whole lot to do with, but, you know, as the head coach, people assume that that you kind of control everything. But on the flip side is when we were struggling, uh, took some credit for some things that were totally beyond my control. And that's just kind of the nature of, of being in that position. And so, uh, yeah, it's not not a ton of glory, but it does give you the opportunity to really kind of put your stamp on a program and, and what you value the most and making sure that that's what your program's about. So uh, tough transition, but it, it's been a good ride. And I've enjoyed um, taking on that role. And when did you know coaching and education teaching was something you wanted to pursue as a career I mean was it an opportunity to stay involved in athletics and football in particular being a a valley catholic grad football is obviously a big part of of life down in St. Jen but I'm curious what drew you to what what drew you back to the sport at being a coach and an educator so I would not recommend to any young people following the path that I took. I, uh, <laughs> I, I got a fine arts degree in college and everybody says, well, you're not going to be able to get a job. And, and they're right. You're not going to get a very good job. So I got that degree and kind of floated for a little bit. And in the fall, after I graduated college, uh, my brother, who's the head coach at Valley, they needed an extra coach. And he asked me if I wanted to come stay at their house go back to St. Jen for a season and, and I didn't really have anything else going on. And so I did that and, and I loved it. I love, not just cause it was Valley. I mean, that was part of it. Um, but working with kids and, and being around football again, I really enjoyed it. And, and at that point it clicked that, Hey, this is something that I really could do. And so, so then I went back and got my teaching degree and a couple years later, uh, I came to Ford Zumwalt. So, uh, it was, it was not a straight path by any means, but, um, I feel like I ended up where I needed to be. When did you know? I mean, was it a slow burn or was there a moment where you, you kind of sat up and went, this is, this is what I want to do. This is it. Um, <laughs> well, it was a quarter of a century ago. So honestly, I don't remember <laughs> it that well. Um, but, but really it was over the course of that, that first fall when I was at Valley. And then I ended up going back the next fall and helping out 
um, that season as well. And so it was, it was somewhere in there um, that I just really enjoyed it. And, and when I had first gone to college, I had taken some education classes and I seriously disliked them. And I was like, there's no way I'm going into education. So I, I got off that path, got the fine arts degree. Um, but then when I actually got to work with kids, not just the education classes, but like doing the, the coaching and the teaching, uh, that part of it, I really enjoyed. So I realized that was, that was something I had to get back into. So how did, what's it like growing up in, in, in a football uh, fan crazy kind of part of the world like, like St. Jen and Valley Catholic in particular? One of the powerhouse programs in state history, I believe still tied with Webb City for the most in state history, most state championships. I mean, was were, were the Warriors rolling while you were a part of the program or did that a lot of that success come, like you said, it was a while ago, but I, I'm curious what it was like and how what your experience was like and how it informed how you became as a head coach and the way you run your program. So we had some pretty good years when I was there and uh, it's kind of cool being in a small town and, you know, you go to the grocery store and people are asking about the game and it's just like the whole community is involved. And, and that's one thing I've tried to figure out, like, how can you bring that atmosphere to, to the suburbs? And it's just different when, when you don't know all your neighbors and you haven't grown up, you know, around the same people and people are moving in and moving out of the, the community. And so I, I feel like we have a great community here on the north side, but I, I just don't know how to replicate that atmosphere that you get in a small town. And so, so that'll always be a really special memory for me. And, uh, and my, my older brother, John, was the head coach when I was there. And um, so as far as like how we do things here at North, a lot of that is why I pulled from Valley. Not, not X's and O's really at all, but um, just that, that commitment to character and, and trying to do things the right way as well as possible. And, and always remembering as hard as we're trying to win games, it's, it's not about uh, the game this Friday or what we might do at the end of the season, but it really is about trying to get these guys prepared for life and not, not so that they can just survive life, but that they can go out and, and make an impact and really um, do something in our world that's going to be a force for good. And so when you played, did your, your career end at Valley, or did you play while chasing that fine arts degree? <laughs> it absolutely ended at Valley because I was an offensive lineman, and so uh, not a lot of college interest in a 170-pound offensive guard defensive end so there there was no way I was going to ever play in college um but that, I was okay with that I mean playing at Valley I can't imagine that it would have been any more special or meaningful at a college and so uh that was a good way to end my career well the first thing I would say was your your team probably doesn't believe you when they when they hear you played O-line because you're you're very tall and still very thin so you don't look like a big mauler. But I'm curious what it's like. How do you your experience as a high school guy and who didn't play beyond that level? Because I've talked with other coaches on, on here before that, you know, there's no old man rec league for football. Like you only get to play yeah. a certain time and then it's gone. What do, how, do, how do you relate to the kids now, especially with the, the group you have? And Zumwalt North throughout its success hasn't had – you know, the, the, the power five programs chasing your guys. You have a lot of guys who go on to play at the next level, 
but there's a lot of guys who this is it. How do you kind of relate to those guys, and what is that like sharing that experience? Well, I, you're right. We don't have uh, many Power Five guys. Um, I feel like we have consistently a ton of great high school football players. Absolutely. And, and it's they're always maybe an inch or two too short or maybe a, a tenth of a second too slow in the 40. Like there's always one of those measurables that keeps the colleges from being interested in them. And, and that frustrates me to no end. I get it why they do it that way because it's easy to look at a height and like know for sure how tall he is or how fast he is. And it's harder to, to really evaluate exactly how good of a player somebody is. So I understand that that's how the, the whole game is played, but I hate to see a lot of our guys that, that truly are great high school players and, and I think could maybe be pretty great college players, but they're just not given that opportunity because of those measurables. But um, we do talk a lot about how that high school experience is, is pretty special and I can't compare it to a college experience because I didn't play, but, but we've had some guys that, that go off and play in college and have pretty good careers. And even them, when they come back, uh, we had uh, Justin Fitzpatrick came back a few weeks ago to talk to the team. And uh, he played at Western Illinois, which is division one. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's now their director of football operations at 23 years old, which is wow. astounding. So like that, that kid is that young man uh, has it together. And he had a, a great career at Western Illinois, but even he was talking about how even at that level, it's just not the same as high school. When It's the guys you grew up with and you're all part of the same town. And um, there's just something special about being a part of that group and, and making mo- the most of those years. And, and that's no knock against college football. I mean, if a kid has a, an opportunity to do that, that's great. But we, we do try to remind the kids, Hey, even if that's a, a real possibility for you, don't overlook these years you have in high school because regardless of how things play out after you graduate, th- this time that you have here is pretty special and you want to make sure you, you soak it up as well as you can and, and make the most of this opportunity. Well, this season has come to an end, but we were talking off air, you know, a, a lot of teams didn't get their, didn't have their season end because their opponent beat them. It was because of uh, forfeits due to the virus that continues to uproot everyday life. I'm curious, what, what if any idea do you have about this po- uh, offseason and what it may look like trying to prepare your guys going forward? Because we, we are currently in a state of what's going on. I mean, it's, everything's upside down. Do you have any idea what that's going to look like? Have you even, or did you take the week off to just, you know, savor what you did do this season because your guys managed to play all the way through to the next to last weekend? Well, so this past week, we spent a lot of time just trying to help the kids wrap up their high school season, uh, especially our seniors. Um, Cause you go from like, it's a hundred miles an hour, super intense. Hopefully the biggest game of your life is next week. And then all of a sudden it just stops. Mm. And uh, that's hard. I, you have something so special and something you're, you've invested so much time and, and effort into it. And for it to, to just come to a halt like that, uh, it's tough to process that. And so uh, we got together with our seniors earlier this week and kind of did a last practice with them and a chance to talk through their career and um, kind of savor the moments and, and bring some closure to it, which which we haven't always done that in the past, but we have the last several years. And I feel like that's a really healthy thing uh, to help them, again, just kind of process 
that that really special thing plus the the end of a dream because i mean you had dreams about going all the way and, and now that's gone like how do you walk through that well and uh be able to be at peace with it even though it still doesn't feel good but um being able to you know kind of wrap your mind and your heart around all those things so uh this week's been a lot of about wrapping up and, and trying to decompress a little bit um what does 2021 look like? I, I tend to be an optimist. So mm-hmm. I think it's going to look fantastic. And uh, <laughs> just like old times, I'm sure that's not going to happen, but uh, we'll do what we did this last year. We'll make our plans and then they'll tell us we have to change them. So we modify and make that work. And they'll tell us we have to change it again and uh, just keep modifying things as you go and, and do the best you can to try to get ready for next season. But, but I, obviously I'm pretty confident it's going to be better than what we had to deal with last year. I think especially once we get through the winter months and into the spring. And so uh, probably won't look exactly like two years ago, but but I'm hopeful it'll look a whole lot more like um, 2018 than, than 2020. There are a few things you can count on in these times, any time in particular, uh, these times especially, but Fort Zumwalt North making people miserable on Friday night is pretty high up on that uh, that list. I mean, your guys every year are always in the mix. It's impressive because it's one of the hardest things to do at the high school level. And uh, my tip of the cap to you, as always. So, Joe Bacon, thank you so much for joining the podcast. We appreciate it. You bet, man. It's been a pleasure. Thanks again to Fort Zumwalt North coach Joe Bacon for joining the program. Up next, Steve Overby is going to talk about MICDS and Helias right here on the STLHighSchoolSports.com Friday Night Football Show. I'm now joined by Steve Overby, who closed down the St. Louis area football season by covering MICDS and Helias in the Class 4 state championship game at Jefferson City High. Steve, it was... A rough-and-tumble season for the St. Louis area, St. Louis County in particular. Um, MICDS found its way to the championship game, but just came up short. What happened tonight in the Class 4 title contest? Well, Super Dave, like you said, they just played well, but but came up short. Uh, 35-30, Elias won the game. Uh, they played well, and uh, kind of like the spread last week, they were bothered by the fact that MICDS only had seven games, and Elias had 13. That was a factor. But uh, they played well. Fred Bouchard in his first year was happy with the season, just getting to the championship given the COVID and everything else. I think uh, I think he'll take second place. But like you said, they just came up short. They couldn't get a stop tonight. They took a fourth-quarter gamble that was a little risky and uh, just came up five points short. Elias had been the number one team in class for all season. I mean, the first six, seven, eight weeks of the season really rolled through their opponents by, I think, a 30-some-odd point margin of victory. Last week, they scored in the last minute to, to sneak past Smithville to make the title game, which is being played in their backyard because they are located in Jefferson City. And then, you know, MICDS had the big win over Union to punch its ticket. But I'm curious what it was like for the MICDS defense trying to rein in what had been, up until recently, a, a pretty potent uh, Crusader offense. Well, to be honest, they didn't do much reining in. Uh, Elias scored on three of its first four possessions, and one of those was a kneel down at the end of the second quarter. And uh, they just couldn't get a stop when they needed to. They, uh, 
They forced them into some long situations and third and longs, but they just couldn't make the play. And the Hawaiians put together three monster drives, and they would convert on third down. And they actually went four for five on fourth down in the game. So anytime Elias needed to play on offense, MICDS couldn't stop them. With that being said, what was MICDS able to do offensively? Because things, I just judging from the what was going on, I was following online. Uh, MICDS had a nice drive just before half to keep it close. Yeah, I think that kind of woke them up. They were down 14 3 at the time, and quarterback Reagan Andrew made a nice, led them on a nice drive, and they scored with 15 seconds left in the half to cut it to 14 10, and they were right back in the game. But then Elias marched with the third quarter kickoff and moved all the way down to push that lead back to 11. And for the most part, the Rams were playing catch up the rest of the way. They did manage to take a 23-21 lead on a shoot road run by Steve Hall, just over one minute left in the third quarter. But then Elias drove right down 77 seconds later and scored with ease. They just moved right through him to take the lead 30-23, to and that was it. Uh, early in the first quarter, uh, the Rams gambled on a fourth and two at their own 28, down by five. I think they were impressed that they were able to move the ball their last two possessions. But Coach Bouchard decided to go for it, and it didn't work. Andrews passed went awry, and that gave Wyatt the ball at the 28. Six plays later, they scored and took the lead to 12, and that was essentially it. Did Coach address going for it on fourth deep in his own territory against the defense that, or against an offense that, that his defense hadn't found a way to really stop yet? I think he, he was... Pretty confident, like you said, if you can't get two yards, you don't deserve to win a state championship. He had a play set up, and he thought it would work, and uh, it just didn't. So uh, that put him in a deep hole, and something never climbed out of. But all of the players, at least the ones I talked to, Will Kazmarek, Purdy, and a couple of the other guys, they defended the decision. They said it was gutsy, and that's just how the Rams have played it all year. They like to go on fourth down. They like to throw in trick plays every once in a while. And it was it was a move that was in character with the team this season under Coach Bouchard, and it just came up empty on the short end this time. And those guys you mentioned were part of the 2018 runner-up uh, team that lost to Ledoux in the Class 4 title game. Uh, MICDS has fallen in its last five championship game appearances. It has seven titles to its credit. Its last coming in 2004 when they shocked Fred Bruchard and his Harrisonville team in double overtime. I... I it was, at the time, the largest come-from-behind win in state history. It, I don't know if it's been surpassed, but I, I can't say that for sure. So, uh, I mean, while the Rams consistently give themselves opportunities to be in championship games, it just hasn't gone their way yet. And I know I talked to Reagan Andrew, the quarterback, who you mentioned earlier. He was really motivated to try and find a way not to take home the runner-up trophy. Unfortunately, that did not happen. Yeah, Reagan struggled maybe in the first quarter, but he picked up the offense right midway through the second and got him in position to win the game. He finished 17 of 25 for 228 yards, had a real good final three quarters. And, you know, if they converted on that fourth and two and kept the drive going, I think they would have marched in for their third successive touchdown and taken the lead, and you never know what could have happened from there. So, Well, it's, a, it's an unfortunate end. You mentioned this on Twitter, but I'd like to reiterate it here. It's the first time since 2013 the St. Louis area does not have a state champion, classes 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, or 6. Just it seems so long ago that Kansas City used to own 
uh, you know, football in Missouri, and that is no longer the case. Obviously, Helias and Central Missouri won 2018. St. Louis area teams won classes 3, 4, 5, and 6. But uh, oh, for this year, and I, I, we've had such a recent rash of success and, and strong football programs, you just wonder how St. Louis County's restrictions and the COVID uh, pandemic have really affected the teams from around these parts. I Like you said at the top of our, our chit-chat here, it, it, it seems like there's something to playing football games that helps you get better at playing football. Yeah, and uh, and like you said, you know, this gets an asterisk being a COVID year. And this uh, met Coach Robert Steeples mentioned this last week, too. You know, they were six and seven weeks behind every other team that they were playing, you know, when it got to the playoffs. And, in these championship games, you know, we were giving up almost two weeks of games and practices to these other teams, and that's a, that's a hard hole to overcome. So, Steve, I'd be remiss if I, if I didn't ask for your thoughts on, on your friend Rick Freeze, the longtime area journalist um, who spent the last 20-some-odd years writing uh, predominantly about uh, Webster and Kirkwood High School athletics for the Webster-Kirkwood Times. You, you knew Rick a long time. He unfortunately uh, passed away recently. Um, I, I would just like to get your thoughts on on Rick because he was such a a vital part of the high school sports community here in town. Yes, he was, and uh, you know, sports writers as a rule are characters and clowns, and uh, you know, we uh, we take our job seriously, but we have fun. And Rick was one of those. He was interesting. He uh, he really enjoyed the kids. He really enjoyed the games, and that was a major part of his life. He, he didn't consider a work. He considered covering a football game to be an honor, and it showed in his work. He, he went beyond the uh, normal in, in his stories. He liked to dive into different things about players' personalities and features on the different things surrounding the game. He wasn't your typical sports writer, but uh, he was a good guy. I think uh, Jay Blossom, the Webster Grove, former Webster Grove coach, said it best, but after 20 years of seeing Rick as the first face coming out of the locker room, he's going to be missed. Yeah, there's a, there's a whole host. He... he he wrote for the St. Charles Post from 1980 to 1991, and he was very entrenched in the GAC out there when it was just a 16 conference. And uh, yeah, he, uh, in addition to being a good friend, yeah, he will be missed. His, uh, his color and his friendship is something that uh, I'll never forget. I got to know Rick a little bit when I moved to the West County Journal in 2002, and I would see a lot of Webster Kirkwood Athletics, Narinx Hall as well, being over there, even Urson a little bit. And he would do some South County work for the for that group of papers. Even strong for STL High School Sports for a little while. I, I I enjoyed Rick's company. I didn't know him as well as you did, but you're right. He will be very missed. It's going to be very odd to be in the gym at Roberts and, and not have Rick Freeze there uh, talking to the statesman or over at, at Kirkwood for that matter. So we'll miss Yeah, Webster game. games and Kirkwood games, just they're not going to be the same anymore. It's going to take some getting used to. Absolutely. Steve Overby, thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. Uh, appreciate being on your show, Super Dave. Thanks again to Fort Zumwalt North coach Joe Bacon and Steve Overby for joining the show. We appreciate it. Next week, we'll go in-depth on boys' basketball and maybe even throw in some hockey pucks with our buddy Joe Harris. Until next time, thanks so much for tuning in to the STLHighSchoolSports.com Friday Night Football Show.